0: Hello, Maine Biz listeners. This is Andrea Tetzlaff with the Maine Biz podcast team. Today I'm talking with Eileen Horner of 165. Eileen bought 165, which is the former Brunswick Inn in 2009 when she and her husband moved to Maine from West Virginia. After making it through a tough 2020 with COVID, Eileen had actually put the Brunswick Inn up for sale and was planning on moving on in her career. Then in March of 21, there was a devastating fire that destroyed much of the main building of the inn, and Eileen had to make some tough choices to decide if she was going to keep the property, and if so, what rebuilding was going to look like. Today, I'm going to talk with Eileen about what those decisions were like for her, and how she was able to build what she calls the inn of her dreams. So welcome, Eileen. Thanks for joining us today.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: Can you give us a little bit of your background? Where did you grow up? Are you from Maine?
1: I am not a Mainer. I was born in New York City and really grew up in Connecticut, have lived in New Hampshire, Massachusetts. I'm a New England girl through and through.
0: Did you have a hospitality background before you came to Maine? What was your career when you were kind of growing up and working throughout New England?
1: So this is sort of a second career for me. I have always been a, I think of myself as a hotel junkie and a restaurant junkie and have always entertained and cooked and baked for people. But I started in my twenties as a high school English teacher in New York City. Oh, wow. (laughs) Yeah. And it was a great run. I taught for 10 years and I loved that time in my life, but Life takes twists and turns, and when I got married in 2000, my husband's job took us to West Virginia, and I started working at the Greenbrier, which is a beautiful, world-famous resort in White Sulphur Springs, and I was doing guest relations there, and it was a fascinating insight into the workings of a world-class hotel and resort. So from there, when we moved to Maine, I thought, I think I'm going to stay on this path. And
0: yeah. So through, what brought you from West Virginia to Maine?
1: My husband's job did. He was the Dean at Maine Central Institute in Pittsfield. And in 2009, I bought the, what was then the Brunswick Inn on Park Row.
0: You saw that the inn had come up for sale. What sort of inspired you or made you kind of know that that was the right move for you?
1: Well, I we had two little children at that time, and I was looking for an opportunity to have my own business, make my own hours, and create a life for myself where my children could come first. And I was looking for probably about three years for a property that would give us the flexibility to do that. But I didn't want a really small place because I wanted to generate enough income to allow me to hire staff so that I could go to my children's soccer games and concerts and bring them to school and pick them up from school. And I was having a lot of trouble finding a property. So many of the main properties are, they're seasonal and they're smaller, maybe five or six rooms. And so my husband, who is a runner, was running a road race that started on the mall in Brunswick. And I looked across the street and saw that 165 Park Row was an inn. And I saw the college on one end and this bustling Main Street on the other end. And I thought, That's what I need. And a few months later, it was on the market.
0: So, for our listeners who may be unfamiliar with what was formerly the Brunswick Inn, what was the setup of the inn? How many rooms was it? You know, was it, did it have restaurant capabilities? Give us a feel for what the inn was when you were first looking at it.
1: Sure. It had been run as a bed and breakfast for about 18 years by a couple who lived in the main house with their kids. They raised their kids here and the there was a building behind the inn that's now known as the carriage house and that was office space that was rented out to businesses here in brunswick in about 2000 i believe they converted that into an additional seven guest rooms with private baths so when i bought the inn there were 16 bedrooms which we still have but it really was still for all intents and purposes really close to the public. An interim owner, the person I purchased the property from, only held it for about a year and a half and did some beautiful upgrades and had put a, a bar in what had formerly been the owner's private living room. So she was starting that progression toward being more community focused. Mm-hmm. And I think that's probably one of the biggest changes that I made to the property really trying to become a hub of the Brunswick community, a place where people could gather, you know, for a drink in the evening, a coffee on the porch. We've had through the years, ukulele groups and French groups and book groups. And few people I think feel very welcome here. And, and, you know, in that traditional sense of, of, an old-fashioned public house that's right yeah. in the center of town. So, so yeah. and And at the time, breakfast was served just to the guests in-house. And I continued that. I developed the catering portion of the business. So we've done for 13 years now, weddings, showers, rehearsal dinners, retirement parties, post-memorial luncheons. And that business has really grown tremendously.
0: So in the early days, what did you find most challenging about being an inn owner?
1: Being pulled in two different directions, knowing that when I was with my kids, somebody probably needed me at at the inn. And when I was at the inn, my family wishing that I could be with them. But we we lived at the end. We lived on the property for the first four years. Well, that's fun. It was. It was. It wasn't always easy, but I felt like I really needed to be an on-site presence pretty much all the time in order to get my footing and get a sense of the staffing needs, the systems put in place. And it worked really well. I mean, you know, Charlie, my youngest, sort of just trailed along behind me all day long, and <laughs> would sit in the kitchen with his stuffed animals, you know, while I cooked, and and it worked until then. It didn't. As they yeah. got older, I felt like it was only fair to give my family a more private way to grow up.
0: So, Eileen, I'm curious as we are sort of coming out of the pandemic, how did COVID affect your business and and were there any sort of unique, you know, we, we keep hearing about unique things that businesses were doing to stay open. So was there anything at the end that you all were able to do that sort of allowed the business to stay open on your end and how COVID affected you guys?
1: Yes, thankfully, it sort of actually fell in my lap. In March of 2020, I got a call from one of my regular guests. She told me that Bowdoin was closing and when I when I bought the property, part of my comfort level with it was knowing that Bowden wasn't going anywhere. Sure. <laughs> no. And and being able to rely on Bowdoin for a steady stream of visitors. So that sort of knocked the wind out of me. But it only took a couple of days before I got a couple of phone calls from students whose parents had stayed here a number of times and for health reasons these young people were not able to go home we didn't know of course how the disease was transmitting and there were you know precarious situations that meant they needed some place to stay so for march through may of 2020 i had six young men staying here and i developed a food program for them and it worked beautifully. And then in the summertime, it's all such a blur to be honest with you, but we did have some tourist traffic, not really tourists, but like business maybe, or people visiting family. And it was all very sterile and contactless and no food service and a little bit scary. I remember getting packages and food deliveries and sterilizing them on the back deck before we brought them in, things like that. But that summer, I started getting phone calls from kids who wanted to stay at the inn for the semester. Mm-hmm. Bowdoin College had decided to spread out attendance to reduce their numbers. So for the first semester, I had 17 sophomores, juniors, and seniors. And then for the second semester, I had eight freshmen.
0: So, how many employees did you have during this time?
1: I had about five. And thankfully, they were all willing to shift their responsibilities in order to meet this new place that had formed. And I had housekeepers flipping burgers and staying into the evening to help serve dinner and clean up. And while hours were reduced, I am proud to say I kept all of my employees through COVID.
0: Great. So you make it through COVID and uh, which is probably what all of us thought could be the well, to your point, Bowdoin was going to be around forever. And so, you know, the worst thing that could happen would be Bowdoin shutting down. And and then comes March of twenty twenty one, where you get another curveball thrown your way. So can you tell us about your day that changed everything in March of twenty one?
1: Yeah. So I got a phone call from our security system saying that there was a fire alarm going off. I was in Portland. My manager was on the property. It was about noon. And what happened was I had a student who overloaded a power strip, but it was an accidental fire and nobody was hurt. Thank God. But the damage was really, really extensive. And we had basically 14 months worth of cleanup and renovations.
0: So you're in Portland and you get this call from your onsite manager. Are you rushing back up to Brunswick? Like, what are, are you trying to gather all the information? I mean, I, I can just, I could just envision that being kind of chaotic and emotional, it's just like what's happening right now.
1: It, interestingly, I was not in a panic because the alarm goes off on occasion. Either something's burning in the kitchen or somebody forgets to open the flue to the chimney and lights a fire and the smoke backs up. I was in that mindset. And as I was driving north, I did call the manager and she said, yeah, there is a little fire in you know one of the rooms. Everybody's out. We're all standing outside and the fire department is here. And then when I got here to Park Row, there were fire trucks, ambulances, police cars filling Park Row and I didn't see any smoke and I didn't see any fire. And I know the fire chief and I approached him and he looked at me, he said, I'm so sorry. He said, you're having a really bad day. And never having had experience with fire, I didn't understand that the it didn't need to burn down for it to be really bad. And when I went in, late that afternoon i was just stunned i mean it was it was a mess it was the walls were black with water running down them and things had been you know opened up with axes i mean it was it was quite a moment
0: but as you said the most important thing everybody made it out safe your staff was all safe there was enough there were no injuries
1: absolutely and i i think about that every day because the renovations were difficult it was a very emotional time but i don't know how i would have gone forward if anything had happened to any of those kids and i'm really fortunate that house is still standing you know yeah. it's been there since 1848 i don't want to be the one to to burn it down i'm so grateful that all the systems worked as they were meant to the alarm system worked as it was meant to every you know there's comfort in that to me all in all it, it it's it's okay
0: we're gonna take a quick break and when we come back we'll talk more with eileen about what the damage was like at the inn and how she moved forward after that we'll be right back So we are back with Eileen Horner talking about the former Brunswick Inn, which is now 165 and the fire that they had in March of 21, which it sounds like Eileen, even though maybe the actual fire itself wasn't all encompassing of the building, the damage that it really caused to the building was devastating. So was there anything on the property that was salvageable?
1: Oh, yes. A lot of it was salvageable. That being said, it all had to be removed. So ServPro was there for about 10 weeks, knocking down whatever walls they deemed, you know, unsalvageable. And all of the furnishings to the wastebasket were cleaned, tagged and taken off the property into a storage facility. So it became a game of inventory and how to basically start thinking about what would come back in and what the rebuild would look like.
0: So that's an interesting question. I was wondering, did when all of this happened, was there any thoughts of selling and not rebuilding or? Where where did you stand on that at least initially? And how did you kind of process through it?
1: Well, interestingly, the inn had gone live on the market. I had put it on the market the week before the fire. So the timing was amazing. I had my accountant had mentioned to me in 2020 that I should think about selling. And I said, no, no, I'm I'm in this for the long haul. And then when 2021 rolled along. And I started reading industry industry reports about what the tourism season was going to look like and things opening up. I said to my husband, I don't think I can do this again. I don't think I can wind up toward that desire to always be perfect again. The perfect meal, the perfect room, the perfect demeanor among our staff and while I feel like we took really good care of these college kids, that pressure was off and it was really liberating. And once I knew that my employees had jobs, that the disaster loans and the PPP loans were going to mean that I wasn't going bankrupt, I wasn't going to lose my business, I was really relaxed and I sort of had a good time, which is, I mean, obviously sad for the people who were suffering from COVID and getting sick and the world was office access kind of, but I, you know, I had my family home. I was still basking, you know, in the idea that everybody was safe. And so that was my mindset when the fire happened and it took me a while to gather my thoughts. I couldn't sell something that was essentially a burned out shell of a building. And so I had sort of this aha moment. And I said, I'm going to create the hotel of my dreams. I had a blank slate, which I had never had before.
0: So, what did that mean? What does creating the hotel of your dreams mean for you?
1: Well, I always had a visual of what. I wanted the space to look like. But when you buy something turnkey, it's really you're just inheriting a color palette and a look. And to change that piecemeal is very difficult. So I worked really closely with a good friend of mine who's got an incredible eye and really great taste. And between the two of us, we came up with a whole new look and a whole new feel. And with that came new thoughts about what could be. And so for the first time now we offer breakfast, we're open to the public for breakfast and we're really promoting the pub in the evening. For the first time we have a pub menu.
0: How is the design of it now different from what the original Inn had been? Like, is it, would you call it more of like a more modern take on it? Like, How did you kind of finalize on that design idea?
1: So I would call it fresher and brighter. The inn had been done in palettes of of sort of a deep burgundy and kind of forest green and there was gold and we had the twin front parlors as sitting rooms. And what we used to refer to as the bar was also the dining room where people had breakfast and Now it's a palette of pale grays and cream and some navy blue. And I have this beautiful Schumacher wallpaper in the front hall. The front parlors are now the dining room. So people have breakfast looking out onto the mall in Brunswick and we have the floor to ceiling windows, the pub we did in a a dark forest green. And we put kind of gallery walls of hunting prints and old instruments, all new lighting and a fabulous leather Chesterfield sofa that I found in Baltimore. So it's just really, it's, it's warm and sophisticated, true to the architecture of the building, but a sort of a more modern and a fresher feel.
0: And is it different from the original inn in terms of capacity or anything like that? Were you able to add on any rooms or did you make existing rooms larger?
1: The footprint is still the same architecturally. We did change a couple of configurations in the suites. So I have now a second floor suite that is a king bedroom with a sitting room, but that sitting room it's really neat because we have these beautiful oversized chairs that fold out into twin beds. God. So if you have a family, it works great. If you are on a working trip and would like to have that extra space, it's this beautiful sitting room. So things like that where the the capacity is still the same, but some of the room configurations are slightly different.
0: And what is the capacity of the inn?
1: So we have 16 rooms, we have the eight in the main house, seven in the carriage house and the cottage, which is a freestanding unit. But among those rooms, we have a few suites. So if we have a full house and all the beds are being used, we're at about 40,
0: 42. Oh, wow. This all happened in March of 21. So when were you able to sort of welcome guests back to 165?
1: We continually welcomed guests in the carriage house while we rebuilt the main house, the the cottage as well. And it was awkward because we didn't want people checking in through a construction zone. So we started a system of leaving envelopes in a basket on the door for our carriage house guests. And they knew that if they needed something, you know, they could call the manager on duty and we, we would come out. But that sort of led to a rethinking of what the carriage house could be and how we might make that a more modern approach to hospitality. So we converted all the locks in the carriage house to self-check-in, their keypads. And I think for people who are still nervous about COVID, that contactless check-in is more comfortable. Mm -hmm. I also think that There are people who prefer just getting a code texted or emailed to them and they just go right to their room. So that is a lower price point. There is no daily housekeeping there, although fresh linens and garbage collection are available. And then the main house is that more traditional sort of high-touch concierge hospitality. My goal has always been to deliver on that, but I think more than ever, I'm very cognizant of really being able to offer extraordinary service, extraordinary food, beautiful amenities. And our guests have been really happy. We've been, you know, more than ever encouraging reviews and getting feedback from our guests, and it's been very, very positive.
0: And so, so you were mentioning the Carriage House was open throughout COVID when did the main house reopen again
1: in in april of this year so 22 yep yep and as of april 18th the dining room the pub and all the second floor rooms were open the third floor we have two suites on the third floor and those were delayed you know in part because of supply chain issues my contractor got covid when he came back my painter's mother unfortunately became very ill and he stayed with her while she was in hospice. So, you know, it's been an unfolding, a gradual unfolding, but well, we were ready for Bowdoin College commencement, which is always Memorial Day weekend. We had a full house checking in the Thursday prior and check-in starts at three at two fifty-one,
0: 51.
1: <laughs> <laughs> we put the final touches on that third floor and it was a photo finish.
0: Nothing like cutting it close. Right,
1: right. <laughs> but we did it.
0: Were you, did were you able to have a grand opening celebration or did it just sort of naturally happen that you already fall and you just kind of went right back into business?
1: We did a launch party. I think that was in March and I invited a lot of, you know, the people who had been instrumental in putting it all back together, as well as some people in town who have always just been really avid supporters of of me and of the inn and that was amazing you know that was a real adrenaline rush the culmination of a lot of hard work a lot of hard days
0: so no thoughts of selling
1: 165 anymore no no because now I feel like I've got this beautiful space that really feels like mine and I'm so excited about it and you know never say never but it's not it's not in the cards for
0: me. Yeah. And so you talked a little bit throughout this interview about the importance of including the Brunswick community in what you were doing there. So I'm just curious to hear sort of what was the feedback from the Brunswick community on sort of the new and improved Brunswick Inn, which is now 165.
1: They love it. They love it. And I really am grateful because I feel so supported by. Whether it's town council or the Brunswick downtown association, the chamber of commerce just had an event here last night and the reactions and the feedback have been wonderful. And we've been getting a lot more community people for breakfast, people coming into the pub. It's, it's interesting, you know, being open. Seven days for breakfast, seven evenings for, for pub. There's not a lot open on Sundays and Mondays. So mm-hmm. those are very high traffic days in the e- afternoons and evenings in the pub. And now that the weather's warmer, the front porch is full. It's, it's so nice to have life back in the place, honestly, you know, it was really depressing place for a long time and it feels great now.
0: So what is it? When as you're looking forward, what is it? What does looking forward look like to you now for the end?
1: It's really busy. We're getting so many inquiries for showers and rehearsal dinners and celebrations of all kinds. So that part of it is very busy. The pub is consistently getting busier as is breakfast, but it's been a good steady growth. I I feel like it. I couldn't have ordered up a better scenario because. We are still putting systems in place and training people. So I feel like that kind of gradual growth has been healthy and I'm comfortable with it. And I am hoping that we'll continue to be as busy as Brunswick is becoming more and more so every year yeah. in, Maine in general as a tourist destination, as a place people have come to understand is, you know, just a wonderful, beautiful place to be. And so I'm really, I'm hopeful for, for great occupancy percentages, great numbers. Thinking
0: back to when you're at your lowest of your low after the fire and just sort of overwhelmed with what it looks like and the amount of work that needs to be done and what am I going to do and obviously you found your way out. What do you ha- what advice might you have for business owners who are sort of at that breaking point almost or at that point where it's just like, I don't know how to dig myself out of this really low point in my business and my career, whatever that might be?
1: Well, a couple of things, I guess. I had to first start with whether or not I really wanted to stay. You know, I think that sometimes we get so dug in that we don't really evaluate whether we want to be dug into the place we find ourselves. And I think my husband is a great sounding board for that. And we had a lot of long discussions about what we wanted our life to look like, what I wanted my life to look like, and could this fit into, or was I just sort of suffering from inertia and just this is the way my life is so I'll just keep going so I think that's really important to always evaluate your own commitment to the business that you have the situation that you find yourself in and if you do still have that love for it then go forward otherwise be okay and at peace with saying goodbye to that chapter of your life and I guess the other thing you know I I've always been a really impatient person and this has been really an exercise for me in honing that newfound skill and I I really had to go from looking at you know eight empty bedrooms and empty dining room and how am I going to do this to okay like let's start with this room and then it became let's just start with this wall, kind of being able to just break it down. And it's something that I feel like I have told my kids their whole lives when they're overwhelmed with homework or whatever it is, just take one step at a time, take one hour at a time. And I had to learn how to take my own advice and really break it down into manageable parts and breathe.